0: The title of this morning's message is Leaving Ourselves Behind, and we will be looking at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 21 through 26, if you want to turn there now. At the beginning of this calendar year, at the start of 2020, I uh, started my way through a biography of the, the journey that Lewis and Clark took across the continental U.S., Some of the best parts of that biography are found in the journals that Lewis in particular kept throughout the expedition. And on May 26, 1805, we learn that Lewis caught his first glimpse of the snow-covered Rocky Mountains. And while he admired their beauty at a great distance still from the actual mountains, he said that that first sighting also made clear to him, quote, the difficulties which this snowy barrier would most probably throw in my way to the Pacific, and the sufferings and hardships of myself and my party in them. In other words, this would be no easy stroll to the Pacific. However, in the, the very next line of that same journal entry, Lewis tries to convince himself otherwise. He says, I have always held it a crime to anticipate evils, so I will choose to believe it a good, comfortable road until I am compelled to believe differently. Basically, he's saying, let's try to forget about where we're headed and what lies on the horizon, at least until we get there. Three months later, though, the men would find themselves in those distant mountains, struggling to survive. The call to follow Jesus could be considered its own sort of expedition. A call to follow Jesus down the roads he is walking before us. And it's during this season, the season of Lent, and, and today as we enter Holy Week. That Jesus invites us to consider particularly the destination of that journey. Where is it that Jesus is going? Like Lewis and Clark, we would prefer to assume the road ahead is easy and comfortable. But if we are in fact to follow where Jesus is leading, we may need to reconsider that assumption. Because Jesus invites us to follow him toward the challenging terrain of the cross. That is a central part of this week. So we consider that together, and as we open to Matthew's gospel, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that you speak truth. Lord, thank you that you go before us, even into difficult places. Thank you that we are never left alone. I pray now as I preach, as we all consider your words spoken to us, Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. And may we have the courage to follow you where you lead us. In Jesus' name, amen i want to get to to verse 21 of chapter 16 in matthew in just a moment but it's important to know again what precedes these verses just before this there is a pivotal discipleship moment jesus asks the 12 a penetrating question he says who is it that you say i am what what am i about what is the essence of my identity And of course, Peter confesses, he he replies admirably that Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Peter sees that, that messianic identity of Jesus more clearly than anyone else. But just as that great confession comes from the lips of Peter, Jesus sees that he has some difficult explaining to do as well about where the Messiah is headed and, and what kind of a Messiah he is. And so in verse 21, the gospel tells us, from that time on then, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. In verse 21, Jesus makes it plain that as the Messiah of Israel, he must go to Jerusalem. Now that piece of information in and of itself is not all that surprising. Right? Jerusalem is the logical place for a Messiah to go. It's, it's a place where the leaders of the day could be assembled, a place where, where he could be crowned the Son of God, a place where he could be exalted and lifted up over the new kingdom he is about to establish. It's part of what messiahs were expected to do. It's right there in the, the job description, so to speak, the, the prophecies and, and folklore of his day. But sometimes we also need to let ourselves hear the words coming from Jesus' mouth, not just the expectations we've supplied him. Yes, Jesus says, my arrival will gather together the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And yes, I will even be lifted up by them. But there is an essential feature to where Jesus is going to why he's going to Jerusalem. An essential feature that his disciples will have trouble hearing. Some terrain they will find that they would rather ignore. It's the part where Jesus says that once he arrives in Jerusalem, he will suffer many things at the hands of the great ones. And so great will that suffering be that it will, in fact, lead to his death. This is where the great journey of discipleship, of following Jesus, ends up. In Jesus' mind, he is not only going to Jerusalem. His journey does not end there, but, but it ends a few hundred yards from the city gate to a cross that awaits him in Jerusalem. Or just outside it. But it's a cross that Jesus believes is essential to discipleship. You and I, though, would often beg to differ. You and I might not have assumed that was part of the journey, part of the expedition of following Jesus when we started out. Right? We, we had our own itinerary in mind. That, that, that following Jesus is about life and joy and peace and, and all these things that, that are, in fact, part of keeping fellowship with Jesus. But we need to hear clearly what else is involved. We need to let Jesus lead us. If we're troubled by the words of Jesus here, we're not alone We see Peter's response now in verse 22. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God but merely human concerns. So here we have Jesus beginning to to walk, to to set his sights on Jerusalem and the road before him and all the difficulties that that entails. And as he does so, Peter steps in front of him and his reply to Jesus is, Never. This will never happen to you. Verse 22 tells us that that Peter's desire is to derail, to, to rebuke, to turn Jesus away from the direction he would walk, away from grief and death before him. To Peter, the cross is not essential. In fact, it is antithetical to the idea and the life of discipleship he envisions The cross is the enemy to Peter. The cross needs to be excluded from possibility. It could never happen. Like Peter, I also want to know why it has to be like this. Not not just for Jesus in the road he would walk, but for any of us. Why is there grief on the way to joy? Why are we vulnerable creatures instead of invincible beings? Why out of all the options available to God has he placed a crucifixion on the way to Easter? These are intrusions into life. And like Peter, I want them excluded from my future. When we are confronted with the reality of suffering, or death, or upheaval, or things that are difficult to look at. One of the hardest things to do is to simply acknowledge their reality. You might be experiencing that right now. Most mornings this week, I woke up and the first thought as I woke up early in the morning was we're still here. We're still in the middle of this new thing, this new reality, the, the new grief and anxiety that attends it. We're still on this road that it's, it's hard to know where it's leading us and what to expect. And most mornings I, I woke up wishing it would move faster, that it would be over It's only been three weeks, but many of us, I'm sure, are already tired of of not being together with people we love, tired of contemplating jobs that could be lost, tired of, of fearing for those who might get sick, tired of the nagging anxieties that keep popping back up. And we would like to exclude those realities. Right, find an escape, find a diversion, find something on Netflix to watch or, or a book to read to take us into a, a different mental space. Right, something that would, would take us away and, and, and not cause us to have to, to see what it is before us. Now I am far from the front lines of that grief right now. Right, there, there are many who are experiencing it in much more direct ways. But one of the hardest things I find is simply to permit what these losses, what these difficulties, what these struggles are, just, just to, to let myself feel them and acknowledge them, to stop trying to resolve them. A few times this week in our family, Katie and I hit our own internal walls. We ran out of gas. We were exhausted by trying to make what wasn't normal seem normal. The best thing we could do in those moments, though, was, was not to keep a stiff upper lip or, or to ignore what we were feeling, but to let ourselves cry and to pray and to acknowledge to one another and, and in, in that space with God that this is, this is hard. This is difficult. In this passage, we see Peter wanting to block off the reality of the cross. And he does so because he's human, because of his love for Jesus, right? It's his human concern to protect someone he loves, to keep things normal and safe. But in verse 23 Jesus says there are times when our human concerns must give way to the concerns of God. Jesus asks Peter to come with him to see in the cross even in all of its ugliness and pain. He wants him to see and acknowledge and invite us into the work God is doing in that space. Look at verses 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What's most striking to me about that passage is how personal Jesus makes the cross for us. In verse 24, he says he is not the only one headed to Jerusalem. In fact, he asks us to follow him there. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Why would Jesus want us there? Why would he want to lead us into suffering and into the the pain of that place? The answer Jesus gives to us is in verse 25. According to Jesus, Jesus, The cross is the site of an exchange that takes place. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. The cross is a place of death. It is a place where life is lost. But it is also a place, Jesus says, where it's recovered, where it's redeemed. As we move into this Holy Week, as we move toward Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and Easter Sunday, that's a, that's a reality that we need to lean into. And there's much about it that is a mystery, that requires us to wait and to simply confess that, that we don't understand, but we desire to follow Jesus there. That because he says so, there must be life in the cross. Today, I find myself troubled by the problem of evil. Many of us wonder why bad things happen. Why bad things happen, especially to those we care about. And that that question seems to be foregrounded all the time right now, with all the things we're, we're reading and hearing and thinking about. And I think it would be it would be foolish to give some kind of pat answer to say, this is why this is the case, that God has this plan or this purpose in particular in mind. I don't think we have that kind of answer in the scriptures. But Jesus' words here, I think, invite us to to ask that question, the question of, of why there is evil or why there is suffering, but to ask it on a slightly different trajectory. Not only can we ask, why do those we love suffer? But if Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, then we might also ask, well, why does God allow himself to suffer? Why does God, in fact, walk willingly toward Jerusalem? Why does Jesus concern himself so, so intimately and acutely with the evil in our world, and the suffering of our world, and with death itself. Why doesn't God, if he has the power, exclude himself from those things? Of course, that also is a mystery that, like Peter, we strain to comprehend and understand. But amidst the the brutality and the horror and the injustice of the cross. The Bible also says that a great evil is exchanged for something cosmic and glorious and good. And the New Testament is a sustained reflection on that exchange. Colossians 1 says, It is through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross that God has made peace for creation. That through Jesus' suffering, God is reconciling all things on earth and in heaven to himself. In 1 Corinthians 1, we're told that in Jesus, the crucified one, we proclaim the power and the wisdom of God in that cross. John 3, of course, we're, we're told that God so loved the world that he gave away the life of Of his son, so that we might have life instead. So Jesus invites us then to come to the cross, to follow him there, to be in it with him, so that we might participate in that exchange. That we might lose our life, but we might also discover it. Whatever is hard whatever is overwhelming to you now, whatever is heavy, God invites you to bring that to the cross so that he might be in that with you. He can enter into that in and through the person of Jesus. This Lenten season, I've been Asking us what we are carrying with us and and what we need to instead leave behind as we follow Jesus. And many of you took home stones like this one at the beginning of March. And they might have signified a worry or an expectation or a fear or something that just felt heavy in your life. And this morning, I want to extend to you a concrete opportunity to leave those things behind. Starting today, the, the large wooden cross uh, that our church often uses on Good Friday, it'll be out on the front steps of the church. And at the foot of it, you'll find a small pile of these stones. And between now and Easter Sunday, if you're able, and I know some will not be able to leave their homes, but, but if you are out and you're headed somewhere you need to go, you can come by the church here and you can quite literally leave those burdens, leave those things at the foot of the cross. If you don't have a stone from the beginning of the month, feel free to bring something from home that that signifies that burden for you. And maybe spend a few moments in prayer as you do that. But as you go, I'd also invite you to take something home with you from that space again today is palm sunday it's it's the day when the people of israel with loud hosannas welcomed jesus into jerusalem welcomed him to be their messiah and their king and even not knowing that 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 kingly obedience would lead him to the cross just days later but it's a time when we recognize and we welcome jesus as our king so on the front steps next to the cross next to those stones will be a basket of palms, and i invite you to take one with you as you leave your burden behind you can take up that palm as a way of signifying that, that you are also taking up the way of jesus and his kingdom taking up the way of the cross knowing that 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 does not exclude us from suffering, it does not exclude us from the difficulty of the world around us, but it is a place where Jesus has triumphed over those things. And the cross for us is essential. May we move toward it together today. Amen.